As we think today about what it means to be children of God, it was very fun to look at the faces of these children during the children's message and to notice how they have a resemblance to their parents. You know, when you think of family resemblance, I'm wondering what you think of. Perhaps you think of a physical characteristic, that's kind of typical. When a baby is born, often we start asking the question, does she look more like her mother, or does she look more like her father? Where's the family resemblance here? And you start digging out pictures of when the parents were children, or maybe when their grandparents were children. But there's also more than physical characteristics in family resemblance, isn't there? Mannerisms, certain kinds of behaviors. It was kind of funny when I went to my family reunion, you could see all kinds of family resemblance, and one of them was three generations of silliness. There are three of them, this one guy who's about my age, his son, and then his grandson, and they all act like that. And they are all hilarious and very, very funny. So there's physical characteristics, there's behaviors that are passed down. The other thing I think of when I think about family resemblance is that oftentimes we find ourselves noticing them in ourselves and longing for them. I wish that I had my father's teeth. He has no cavities, he's 90. There isn't a tooth in my head that doesn't have something on it or in it. And then there's things that you get that you wish you didn't get. My mother's bunions, all of her daughters got her bunions. All of them had surgery, just about. There's certain behaviors that I wish I got from my parents. My father's sense of direction. Doesn't matter where he is, he knows exactly where north, south, east, west is. It's just in him. So when we think of those phrases that chip off the old block, you know, the nut doesn't fall far from the tree or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, we understand it and we've commented on it and we've noticed it in ourselves and in others. So I find it fascinating and important that the main title for Jesus in this little letter called 1 John that we are in this month, Jesus is called over and over again, Son of God. I want us to think for a moment about what Jesus reveals to us about God. Certainly not a focus on physical characteristics. We really don't know much about that. But much more of a focus, you could say, on behavior, the way Jesus is a servant, the way he loves, the things that Jesus values, the way he lives in the world. But I think there's something also really, really important for us to notice, not only about what Jesus the Son reveals about God, but also that family resemblance in his relationship within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that Jesus wants to pass on to us. That's something hidden, a gift that Jesus imparts to us that we might not think to even desire or ask for. But in 1 John, I would say it's what Jesus most wants to pass on to us, his closeness to God, his connectedness and intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. 
and his confidence, his confidence that he is a beloved child of God. Remember when Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water, and there was this voice that boomed out, and that voice boomed out this, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus always knew that. Always, always, always knew that, that he was God's beloved, no matter what happened. He didn't get that from any other source. He just had that confidence. And I think Jesus is giving that as an inheritance to us, the most important thing that is passed on to us, because it gets lost in us. It gets lost for us. We get confused about that. And when we get confused about being God's beloved children, we look for it somewhere else. And when we look for that belovedness somewhere else, it's called sin. It's a brokenness. And there is a power. There are powers at work in this world. Deceiving powers, father of lies, powers and principalities that love to derail us and our confidence that we are God's beloved children. You can see that happening in this letter, 1 John. They have their confidence shaken. They need reassurance. And so listen to God's word to you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to hear chapter 3, most of chapter 3. Just hear God speaking to you on this theme of being God's beloved children. So let's pray. God, we cannot hear apart from your spirit communicating yourself, your love, our belovedness to us. We pray for that now as we are in your word. In Christ's name, amen. 1 John chapter 2, once again, you are invited to follow along back of the Bible. You are invited to be reading this little book, five chapters long, throughout this month. Some are reading it regularly, the whole letter and uh, It'd be great if you followed along now, not just on the screen, but also in the scripture. 1 John 2, beginning at verse 28, and we will go all the way through the third chapter. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he is revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who does right has been born of him. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was revealed to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 
The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born of God do not sin because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin because they have been born of God. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. What love, what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That is what we are. I know some of you have maybe done the test, the saliva test, where you test out your DNA and find out your heritage and your ethnicity. Anybody done that? Yeah, see some of you have done that. I was looking online at some information about that. There's a place, a uh, link called Ancestry DNA, and they describe to you what they actually do with that. And there is in that, on that website this question, what are you? What are you? What are you? And then the description of what you can do to send in your saliva sample and find out your family history that goes back many generations. You can find out your ethnicity. You can find out the regions from which your ancestors came. And there's this one man who talks about his story. His name was Kyle. He grew up German, and he was German through and through and was involved in a German dance troupe and dressed in the Lederhosen, et cetera, et cetera. And then he sent his saliva in, and guess what? No German ancestors. None. No, they were Scottish. So now look the way he dresses. Changed the way he dresses. Changed who he was. What are you? This test cannot go back far enough to reveal the most important thing about you. You and I are beloved children of God from the very beginning, made in God's image. 
made to be in special relationship with the living God. We are beloved sons and daughters of God. It can't be tested through your saliva. Cannot be tested through saliva. It's not evident to the world. Just as Jesus, as God's son, was not evident to the world. And so it gets easily lost and confused in us. And so in this letter, you hear John going all the way back to the Cain story. Cain and Abel. Why does he bring up that story? Because Cain is so obviously confused about his belovedness. From the very beginning, there was a diabolical one. We don't know why. Diabolos, the devil. The powers that come in and confuse and introduce distrust and introduce and even fan into flame the disconnectedness of our living relationship as beloved children of God. He is so confused about his belovedness that he sees his brother as a rival and he murders him. And then immediately in that same paragraph, you have the contrast from Cain to the Son of God. Instead of murdering, what does the Son of God do? The Son of God, out of the confidence of his belovedness as God's son and daughter, he lays down his life. He gives his life. So that his very life, his very belovedness, his great confidence and connectedness and intimacy with God the Father through the Spirit is given to us. That we may have confidence, his confidence. That we may have reassurance that we are God's beloved children right now. It's not based on anything we do or don't do, any ancestry in us whatsoever. It is based 100% on the love of God given to us completely in him laying down his life. We can't give ourselves that reassurance. And we cannot give ourselves that new birth into a confidence that we do not have. Confidence that was taken away from us in that original struggle and in that conflict called sin. The spirit, the trinity, that is how we are reborn. We can't give it to ourselves or to one another. It's a birth that comes from God and his spirit, as you read in the early gospel chapters of John. But there is a test. It's not a saliva test. There is a test to know that we are leaning into and growing out of that new birth as God's beloved. What is that test? Did you hear it in this chapter? When our confidence is restored in our belovedness, it will overflow to our brothers and sisters. And when we see that overflowing happening, loving our brothers and sisters, we will know that we are once again renewed, restored, reborn in a confidence that comes from God's Son, Jesus Christ, God's heart, planted and born in us through the Spirit. When I think about that longing that God has for us, and not only the longing, the gift that God has given to us in Jesus Christ, that we can have that confidence, that we are God's beloved, I think about how easy it's lost how easily we are confused. And I think about Phyllis Descanio. 
Phyllis Descagna came to this church about 11 years ago. She came as a graduate, well, she wasn't a graduate at the time, but she was in Hope House. Hope House, which is a program that's helping women uh, stay clean and sober and stay out of jail. She was a resident in Hope House and they were worshiping here and she came to worship with us. Phyllis, by the way, died this last Wednesday of pancreatic cancer, so she's heavy on my heart and on many of our hearts this week. But when she came here over the last 11 years, she made a big impact on this church and me. And we made a big impact on her. She came here with the Hope House women, but she was so ashamed of herself and who she was, no sense of being God's beloved child, that she was hiding downstairs in the bathroom. Someone discovered her there, escorted her up to worship, and that was the beginning of a long journey of discovering that she is a beloved child of God. Those of you that journeyed with her heard some of her story. Her family abandoned her. She was in and out of orphanages. When she was in an orphanage, she experienced abuse there. When she was with family, she experienced even worse, worse abuse there which made it really, really hard for her to have any sense that she was God's beloved daughter. And then there was her addiction that made it even more confusing and more difficult. But the true calling of the church is to help us be escorted into the loving arms of God who gives us the gift of being reborn into our belovedness as God's daughters, sons and daughters. That happened here for Phyllis. She became a member of this church. It was very cool. She grew more and more in her healing, in her own sense of being precious and loved by God. She became a deacon. She was involved with SOS. She also was involved in ministries that weren't so easy for us to open our arms to her. She was on the softball team and sometimes could barely run to first base. But you know, Trinity, you opened your arms to her. You opened your homes to her. You gave her jobs to do house sitting and pet sitting. Jennifer and Art got her a yurt in their backyard so she had a place to live before they moved away. Anita let her rent a room, Anita and Paul, for years, when that was not always an easy thing to do. You opened your homes, your hearts to her, and then when she found out she had pancreatic cancer, everybody's nightmare, who's going to take care of me? A team of people came together, most of whom were from Trinity, called Team Discania, who took her to appointments and loved her and cared for her better than any family I've seen to the very end, so that she died well. And she died knowing she was loved, loved. Not because of anything she did or didn't do, but just because that's what God gives us in Jesus Christ. And the test that this was happening in her was that it overflowed. She went to the Hope House women, she was their cheerleader. She went to Romania and told the orphans there, you are loved. 
She went out to Sequoia Station and sat down with homeless people and fed them meals because she wanted them to know they were beloved children of God when the rest of the Safeway staff treated them like garbage. It overflowed in her. And I just want you to know as a church that the way you loved her into that new birth is the best test we have that your confidence is being reborn, that you know you are beloved. Because when we have that birthing into our belovedness in the heart of God in Jesus Christ, it overflows like that, exactly the way it did when you loved Phyllis. Confidence. That's what God wants us to inherit. We can't give it to ourselves. God gives it to us through his spirit, through what Jesus Christ has done, laying down his life. But friends, I have to tell you, if we don't live into that confidence that comes to us in and through Jesus Christ and his spirit, we will get lost and confused. You have heard us say that our goal through the end of the year is that every person in this church adds one new practice to your daily life that will help you hear Jesus saying to you exactly what we were singing and saying to Phyllis the moment she died, you are God's beloved child. You belong to him. What is it that's doing that for you? The community of faith is essential. You're here. That is a wonderful step. And being in scripture every day. One of our deacons, Elizabeth Ten, is in the one-year Bible every day. How did she hear about it? Her mom, Pam. What are you doing? What works for you? But there's practices that help us lean into that belovedness, and if we're not in those practices, friends, we will go over to confusion and lostness. We will. There are powers and principalities that we do not know because they are deceptive and love to derail us. But you'll know what's happening. The test is this, not saliva. You, you'll know what's happening because it will overflow and you will want everybody to know that they're God's beloved child. Even the people you don't like, it will overflow from you. That's the test. Let's pray. God, how we praise you that because of your heart of